the Christmas season is upon us. How many of you are super excited right now? Right here. Come on. Yes? Excited? We got a few in the back, right? How many are super stressed right now? We got any people who are stressed? How many of you still have shopping to do as soon as I get done? All right, all right, all right. Who has to travel somewhere or be with someone that you're not excited about? Don't answer that. Don't answer that. As a decent chance, they're also in this auditorium today, so don't answer that at all. Hey, I have great news for all of you. Today, I will be giving you peace for your life. You excited about that? You're crazy. I got nothing this morning to give you peace in your life. I'm not a miracle worker. I'm somebody who has a Bible. The great news is today that I know the one who brings peace. And I get to talk to you today about the one who brings peace. Some of you, again, if you come to church only at Christmas, you're like, this guy talks about one thing every year. Every year at Christmas, and I had the chance, I talk about Jesus bringing peace. So over the course of the last three weeks, and then today, we have been in a series called What Child Is This? And we're talking about, really, I mean, somebody actually gave me a gift bag today, and it had this verse on it. This is one of the most famous Christmas verses out there, right, from the Old Testament. And it has these four names for the person who would be the Messiah, who, who, as we now know, is Jesus. And so we've been unpacking each of those, and we're going to do so again today. In Isaiah 9-6, as the video said, and if you've read the scripture, you know, the people of Israel were walking in darkness. They were in spiritual darkness. They were in emotional darkness and difficulty. And even physically, in their national identity, there was, like a, there was a darkness that clouded everything. And in the midst of that darkness, 2,700 years ago from now, 700 years before the first Christmas, Isaiah, through the Spirit of God, prophesied these words in Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and finally the Prince of Peace. 700 years after Isaiah prophesied that, Jesus showed up. God the Son came to earth as a baby, and he was given the name Jesus. Throughout his life, and his, his birth, and his life, and his death, and burial, and resurrection, his character, his teaching, and all of the things that are related to Jesus, only Jesus has been able to fulfill, because he was the true fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. As the one who possessed the absolute wisdom of God, only Jesus was the wonderful counselor. As the only person who possessed the absolute power of God, Jesus was the mighty God. As the only one who was eternally God the Son, and could, the only one who could provide eternal life, he was the everlasting Father. And today, what I want you to see, that only through Jesus can we find true peace. Only through the Prince of Peace can we find true peace. And if you've been with us over the course of this series, you know that we've been taking a more thematic approach to this. And we've gone to the New Testament to look at different ways that Jesus fulfills the ideas behind each of these different words. And we'll do that again today. I'm going to give you several different passages and we'll talk about a few aspects of what it means that Jesus was and is the Prince of Peace. That Jesus provides true peace. But before we get there, we've got to clear up one question. And that's this question, what actually is peace? 
there's our, our 21st century kind of idea of peace, right? We all want peace. Look, it's Christmas. It's busy. I live in a house full of women. I got an extra one here with me now and my mother. And I keep telling my wife, when am I going to get just a little bit of peace and peace and quiet in my house? Like if I just had a little peace and quiet, oh, thank you, Jesus, right? I went out for a walk the other day in the woods and it was so quiet. And I was like, peace has been achieved in life and all things are good, right? We love Christmas in my house, and so it's, it's busy, lots of fun, lots of things happening. Sometimes we equate peace with just having a little bit of peace and quiet. Sometimes in, in your life, when, if, if I was to say, what does peace look like to you? Peace would look a lot like a beach somewhere that's like warm, not the Pacific Northwest, right? It would look like a, a cabin in the mountains with a wood fire going, and you're by yourself, and it's amazing, and it's quiet, and it's lovely, and it's serenity, and it's relaxing. For others of you, gentlemen, it would be a day at the spa. It's just so peaceful. I'll get my nails done. I'll get one of those hot rock massage things. I've never had one. Don't judge me. Okay? Right. So we have these ideas of what peace is. You, you turn on your news app, right? You start flicking through that. And we have some ideas of what peace might look like. If all this craziness wasn't going on in the Ukraine, if all this craziness wasn't going on in the land of Palestine, if all this craziness wasn't happening all over the world, if there was an absence of war, then there would be peace. But would there really be? Think about it in your own home. I laugh and, and joke about it, like, are you going to go be around or see someone that you don't care to be around or see? And we kind of laugh, but why is that even funny? Because for many of us, that's, that's actually our reality this afternoon. Or tomorrow morning, tomorrow evening, there's relationship brokenness, and there's ugliness, and there's weirdness, and we're just kind of like, man, this isn't going to... And so peace would mean that like, that relationship brokenness is like fixed, right? And people aren't fighting, and it's the absence of, of fighting. Maybe for you, Christmas puts that financial pressure on you, and so peace to you kind of feels like, man, if I just didn't have that financial strain and pressure... And here's the deal, when we identify peace, like from our own perspective or from a secular perspective, oftentimes peace is like the absence of something, or peace is, is primarily a feeling, right? I quoted a, a group in the first service, and I know none of you will know this because you're much more spiritual than them, but there's, there's a, a, a singing group, their, their name is the Eagles, not the Philadelphia Eagles who the Seahawks crushed last Monday night, thank you very much, right? Let's go, right. There we go. But the Eagles, and they have a song that they recorded, and it says, I've got a peaceful, easy, you weren't going to sing? I've got a peaceful, easy feeling, right? And there's so much feeling when it relates to peace in our lives. We, we think about peace as just a feeling. Here's the problem. Feelings are fleeting, right? Feelings come and go so fast. I can be feeling one way in the morning, and later that morning I feel a completely different way, right? I can be feeling one way when I'm up here preaching, and I can feel a completely different way when I get home and I pass out on the couch. Feelings are so fleeting. And so if peace is nothing more than just this like feeling of I feel good, it's coming and going, and we have no idea where it's going to be. Biblical peace is so much more. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, the terms that are used and the ideas for peace, as many of you know, doesn't have the idea of, of just a, a fleeting, passing 
kind of feeling. It doesn't have to do with just the absence of things. When they talk about peace, they're talking about wholeness. They're talking about rightness. One of the ways that people define peace is life as it's supposed to be. You see the difference there? You see, you can get your family reunion together, and you can get one side on one couch and the other side on the other couch, and they're just like not fighting with each other. Is there peace in your living room? Come on. Is there peace? No, they're not, because you can see it in the, in the eyes, can't you? If I leave this room, someone's attacking someone, right? You see, we, we, could, we can get the absence of fighting and still not have peace. But relational wholeness, biblical peace, is when there's reconciliation and restoration and those relationships are fixed and brought back together. Then there's real peace, right? That's how it is in every area of life when we talk about peace. And here's why that's important. I'm going to start talking to you about Jesus as the Prince of Peace. I'm going to read five different really important passages of Scripture that relate to Jesus and the peace that he brings. And I do not want you to sell Scripture or Jesus short and think that he's just talking about making you have a peaceful, easy feeling in your life. Your feelings may never change or may not change immediately, but you can still have peace. And I want you to know that feelings are fleeting, but peace, real peace, is possible. And so we'll look at how Jesus brings real, deep, true, abiding peace today. And we're going to start right there in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Luke 2, 14 says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And here's the cool part and why I start here. For some of you, even if you're not church people, you're like, I've heard that before. Charlie Brown Christmas. We have some fans? Char there we go. Thank you. Right? Charlie Brown Christmas. I was going to have Linus read it for us, right, this morning, and I thought the kids would love that, but then I'd never get you back, so I decided not to. But you know when he says, lights please, and Charlie's like, what's the real meaning of Christmas? And he says, I'll tell you the real meaning. And he quotes Luke 2, 8 through 14, right? But here's what I want you to see, actually. I want you to take your Bibles, if you have them, I don't want you to accuse me of not letting you read the Bible. Take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at this one a little bit more today, and I'll give you a couple other ones, and they'll be quick. Now, I do also want to clear something up. Some of you got tricked when you came here, right? Because your relative said, oh, they're having a kid's program today. And you're like, oh, that'll be cool. There won't be any preaching. They didn't tell you there's a kid's program and preaching. Oh, I gave you a chance to get out. We gave you an intermission. Luke chapter 2. Here's what I want you to see. I'm going to read through the story and just point a couple things out real quick. Luke 2 verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. How many of you have travel plans over the holidays? You traveled to get here, you're traveling later. How many of you have traveled in some way? Let me see your hands. Okay i got to go to the airport on the 26th in the morning. I take mom back to the airport. Am I looking forward to that? Right? I mean, it's worth it. I love mom. But the, the day after Christmas, travel, chaos is going to ensue. Let me tell you something about the first Christmas and the first Christmas story. There was travel chaos right here. The emperor, the ruler of the world in that day said, all right, I need more money and more tax money. And so I need everybody to go to the place where they were, every man to go to the place where they were born 
No matter where you live in the Roman world, get up, move your family, go to the place where you were born and be registered there so that way I can tax you all. You imagine the traffic problems. Everybody on earth is traveling at the same time. Now, I know that everybody in Puyallup is traveling down Meridian every day, but everybody in the world is traveling and everybody's getting up and moving around, and they don't have freeways like I-5 or 167, if you actually call that a freeway. They have dirt roads, and everybody's traveling. Imagine trying to get a hotel in that scenario, right? You don't pull out your phone and get it. They don't make reservations. Travel chaos was part of the first Christmas story. It goes even further. All went to be registered, each to his own town, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. That's about an 80 or 90 mile trip from where he lived in Nazareth of Galilee to Bethlehem of Judea, where he was from. That was his hometown. Any of you, don't raise your hands. But some of you think about, you live here, but home is somewhere else. And, and what it would look like for you to go back home, right? But maybe it's your reputation, or maybe it's what people thought would happen to you, or any of those number of things. And David's going back home. But he's not going by himself, is he? And that's where this situation gets even a little more chaotic. It says, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed. That's his, his fiancé plus, Right? Who was with child? ruh That's going to be a problem if you're a Jewish young man going back to your hometown, right? They weren't cr- quite as open and progressive as people are today. And so he's going to show up with his uh, fiance and very pregnant with child. In that day, they could take you out and stone you for a thing like that. And they could disown him. They could stone her and disown him for being part of this whole thing. You think you have family chaos, Right? Probably none of you are going to somebody's family dinner with the threat of, like, they could take me out into the backyard and stone me. Now, maybe some of them duct tape could be a, uh, you know. But you think about the chaos that's involved in this story. Verse 6, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Health problems and health chaos are a reality for some of you today. Can you imagine you're a teenage, unwed virgin who's with child? There's not a hospital. There's not a bassinet. There's not a bed, bath, and beyond because that went out of business. What do you got? You got a cave and a feeding trough. You see, the chaos in the first Christmas story is real and present. There's even more when Jesus comes, or when the angels come to the shepherds in verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Shepherds were tough guys. They were the strong, tough, mean guys. They had Harleys in the garage and guns on their hip, and they were the guys that you wanted as your bodyguard. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were totally freaked out. That's what my translation says. Yours doesn't? They were totally freaked out. And the angel said to them, chill, guys. It's all good. For behold, I bring you good news. Yeah, because when angels show up and freak you out, that's what you're thinking, right? Good news. One of the things you've got to know about shepherds is, in general, shepherds weren't known as the most spiritually upright people on the planet, right? These men were probably very spiritually disinterested. So there's even a level of spiritual chaos 
think of the chaos into which Jesus was born. And we laugh about like travel plans and travel chaos and things like that, but we don't laugh as much about relationship chaos and family chaos. We certainly don't laugh about people and their health chaos that's going on in their life. And all of that, all of that pales in comparison to spiritual chaos that's going on in people's lives and in the world. All of that chaos is stuff that breaks our sense of peace. That is the context of Luke 2, 14. And the angels show up and they're proclaiming the birth of the Messiah. They're proclaiming the birth of the Prince of Peace. 700 years later from Isaiah, they're proclaiming this person. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. In the context of chaos, Jesus provides peace. In the context of chaos, Jesus provides peace. And there's a clue in this translation. You probably remember Linus saying, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men, right? That's the old King James translation. A better way, the modern translations translate this, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Because we can't have any other peace in our lives until we have peace with God, spiritual peace. But I'll talk more about that in a minute. Before that, I want to give you another couple of verses, and this is an interesting thing because these are a couple more verses from Jesus' life and things that Jesus said. Luke 2.14 was spoken on the night of Jesus' birth, the first night of Jesus' earthly life. We're going to fast forward all the way to the last night of Jesus' earthly life before his crucifixion. He's in an upper room with a group of his closest disciples, and he's talking to them. They're freaked out. The one that they've said that they're going to follow, the one that they've given their lives to, has told them that he's got to be crucified and he's going to be gone. And they don't know what they're going to do. And so they've got chaos swirling in their lives. And on that day as an adult, the last night of his life before he's crucified, he says this, Peace I leave with you. They don't have feelings of peace in that moment. They have feelings of turmoil and upheaval and what are we going to do And our whole life is being turned upside down. My peace I give to you. And then those next words are the best news for any of us. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I want you to focus on not as the world gives do I give to you. The peace that Jesus offers is a qualitative difference from the peace that the world offers. The world offers a peace that can fix your feelings, but it cannot change your heart. And the problem is, is the unrest, the upheaval, the chaos that we have, we think it comes from outside of us, but in reality, it comes from inside and I can take a pill, I can drink a drink, I can buy something with a credit card, I can find a relationship, I can do a lot of different things to fix my feelings of peace, right? I can feel peaceful for a brief moment or a few brief moments. That's pretty easy to do. I'm not sure what time sees candy closes today, but I can find some peace up there. Amen? Dark chocolate, right? Yeah. Like we can pursue the feeling of peace in all these trite and trivial ways. But have you ever got something that you knew was going to bring you happiness and you knew was going to bring you peace and then you got that thing and then like 15 minutes later you're like, wait a minute, I still don't feel 
at peace, right? That's what we're talking about. Jesus says, not as the world gives to I give to you. Because again, the peace that the world offers can only fix our feelings. It can't get down deep into the real root, the real heart of what's going on. It can't really get down into your soul and into your heart and change that biggest issue. Only Jesus provides that kind of peace. Some of you have been running all over the place looking for peace. And I'll say this as well. Some of us think we live in peace. We think we're like, ah, I feel pretty fe- peaceful. I feel pretty good. I think things feel great. Things are going well. My relationships are going well. My family's going well. My bank account's going well. I feel at, at peace. Remember, feelings go away very quickly. We can feel really at peace. You may be sitting here listening, like, is this guy going to get done soon? Probably not. And you can feel like you're pretty at peace, but the reality is, is there's something deeper inside you that's broken? Because remember, peace isn't just about a feeling. It's about something that's broken being made whole. Later in the same conversation as the verses behind me, Jesus says these words, same night, same conversation. He says, I have said these things to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Look at that little piece that says that in me you may have peace. Right after that it says, in the world you what? What's the next word? In the world you will have tribulation. That's not like an option. That's not like a, I might have some hardship. I might go through a tough time or two. Jesus is telling his disciples on the night before he's going to be crucified, they still don't have a full picture of what's going on. He doesn't come to them and sell to them this false bill of goods. If you just put a little of Jesus in your life, all your wildest dreams will come true. You'll always feel better. Following Jesus will make you better at life and make life better. He doesn't come to them and sell them a false bill of goods. Jesus gets real with them. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to follow the real Jesus. In this world, you will have tribulation. It's not an option. Other places in in the New Testament, it talks about how we are worthy of suffering for the cause of Christ. And here's why that's important. For some of us, we have these feelings of, of unpeacefulness, of lack of peace, of anxiety, of frustration, of anger, of all that. And we think if I go to Jesus, he'll fix that and he'll give me peace and he'll make me feel better. So then I go to Jesus, and I don't feel better. Then whose fault is it? Jesus' fault, right? I blame Jesus instead of blaming myself or realizing I'm defining peace the wrong way, looking for the peace in the wrong places. And I want you to know that in this world, you will have tribulation. And that might look relational. That might look financial. That will look like people persecuting you for the cause of Christ if you're a Christian. You will have tribulation. Aren't you glad that that's not where the verse ends? Take heart means to like buck up. Buck up your courage, your spiritual courage. Take heart. Why? Because you can overcome the world. Right? Uh, A couple of you are smiling. It's good. If you're new here, you've got to pay attention. Sometimes I misquote scripture, it gets ugly. 
So many of us are not at peace because we think it's our job to overcome everything. Some of us are not at peace because we're so busy fighting for ourselves. He says, I have overcome the world. The amazing thing about this is this in Scripture is before Christ dies on the cross. This is before the crucifixion and the resurrection. It was already a done deal. Before the foundation of the world, the battle was already won. The victory was already his. Peace comes not when I overcome everything in my life and bring myself to a point of peace. Peace comes when I relinquish control and realize that he already has. Like he already has overcome. He has overcome, so you can overcome. That's more than just a fleeting feeling of peace. That's a a staid and strong and firm reality. Take heart. I have overcome the world. For some of you this morning, you got to do this. You you, you just need to, to open the hands. Stop fighting. Stop doing it all on your own. Stop trying so hard. I know you're a big, strong man or woman, individualist. You can do it. You don't have to because he already has. Take heart, I have overcome the world. The Apostle Paul, the great missionary, pastor, preacher, and teacher, has some really good things to say about peace. And one of those is in Colossians 3, 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. I want you to picture a throne right here on the stage, a big, amazing, glorious throne that a king would sit on, right? And on that throne, that, that throne is your heart, okay? What's sitting on the throne? What's sitting on the throne? Because what's sitting on the throne of your heart and my heart determines our peace. You know who's usually sitting on the throne of my heart? Pastor Steve? Me. It's usually about my agenda and usually like my selfishness and my idiosyncrasies and my things that I want. And I'm constantly having to fight to get off of the throne of my heart so that Christ can be in the throne of my heart, can sit on that throne. Because the deal is, for some of us, the reason that we don't have peace in our hearts is because we're on the throne. Or we've put our kids on the throne, or we put our grandkids on the throne, and we put our career and our success and our power and all that stuff on the throne, and we're like, why don't I have any peace? Because the wrong thing's ruling my heart. The peace of Christ doesn't share the throne with other things. Does that make sense? Like, Christ isn't like, here, I'll make a throne that's big enough for the both of us. I'll sit on part of it, and then you sit on the other part, and together we'll like kind of be cool, and we'll bring peace to our life. No relinquishing peace, relinquishing the throne of my heart means humility. It means turning it over to the Lord. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called. And then those last three words, and be thankful. You're like, where does that fit? Let me tell you where it fits. You might find this hard to believe, but sometimes I can get grumpy. Don't laugh. I know, right? Brody's like, wait, what? Yeah. I can get grumpy, I can get frustrated, I can get anxious, I can get lots of those different things. And when those things happen, I have an amazing wife. And she will come to me and she will say, it's time. And I'll be like, no, it's not time. No. She's like, yep, we're going to go out by the fire pit. I'm like, it's raining, it doesn't matter, we're going out there. No, I don't want to. She's like, you're going. 
It's time for the thankful list. I don't want to do the thankful list. I'm grumpy. And she'll make me go and, and sit by the fire pit or sit in the bedroom or somewhere and start listing off the things I'm thankful for. And usually I won't do it, right? And so she'll, she'll lead spiritual leadership. She'll lead and she'll start. And she'll say, well, I'm thankful that I have such a godly husband that's willing to take this step and do this. Really? That's manipulative. That's not okay. Not cool. But I start listing the stuff that I'm thankful for. Here, and here's the trick. That the Lord has done for me. That the Lord has done for us. I'm thankful at four years old that the Lord called me to himself and I became a Christian. I'm thankful that I grew up in a Christian home. I'm thankful for a mom who was, right, all the things, just on and on and on. And you know what happens is that thankfulness to the Lord usually leads to some level of peacefulness. Because I get off the throne of my heart and I get to where I'm supposed to be and I put Christ there. And I acknowledge all the things that he's done for me, and I'm thankful to him for what he's done, and peace begins to ensue. For some of you, that's your homework. And some of your spouses are excited. They're writing it down. I can see it right now. Make him do thankful list, okay? Don't call me. I'm off work for tomorrow. It's Christmas. Don't call and complain. Send an email. I'll delete it. We're going to be okay. But seriously, man, that's what some of us need is just some thankfulness to lead to like a heart-level peacefulness. Now, I've got one more passage for you, and I want to tell you, this is the big one. This is the most important one. If you're here today especially, and church isn't your thing, and Jesus isn't your thing, like, I respect you. I, I really respect you for coming here and sitting and listening. Like, you could have easily walked out when the kids did. So I really respect you, and I'm thankful that you're here this morning. But I would re be remiss if I did all of this talk about the peace of Christ and didn't leave you with the most important aspect of that. The book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 1, says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can have no other true peace in your life until you have peace with God. You see, the story of the Bible is that sin broke a lot of things, that when sin entered the world, that it broke lots of things, but it Ultimately, it broke the relationship between man and God. And that for all of us, we are sinners by nature and by choice. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 talks about that. It says that no one is righteous, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks God. And later in verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That our relationship with God is broken. That's why we don't have the peace that we're supposed to have. That's why we can experience a little bit of fleeting peace, but true, deep, abiding, soul-level peace is not ours. Because that relationship of peace was broken due to sin. But when Romans chapter 5 says, since we have been justified by faith, what it's talking about is that Christ came, and he lived a perfect life, and he died in our place, and he rose again, defeating Satan, sin, and death, so that we could place our faith in him, and have peace, have our relationship with God restored. That's the peace that you're looking for. The peace that you're looking for is not the absence of something. It's not quiet in the mountain. The peace that you're looking for is not me finishing this thing so we can get out of here. The peace that we were made for is right relationship with God. Peace with God, and it only comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. Placing our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The Lord wants you to have peace this morning. Not flaky and flippant peace, feeling of peace, deep, soul-level, abiding peace. If you're not a Christian, that means becoming a Christian, accepting Christ as your Savior, and getting on the path to true peace because your relationship with God has been brought back into peace. And if you are a Christian, maybe it just means like living into some of this. I would challenge you this morning, like if you're, if you're a Christian and you're struggling with peace, grab a hold of our sermon supplement. It's online. It's uh, on the tables in the back. Grab a hold of that and just memorize, meditate on one or a few of these verses and let God's word do its work of peace in your heart. And again, if you're not a Christian, accept Christ today, right now, right? You don't have to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. There's not like some magic formula. You pray to the Lord. You acknowledge, I'm a sinner, and that sin has broken my relationship with you. And I accept Christ's payment in my place for my sins, and I give my life to you. That's becoming a Christian. That's having a relationship of, with the Lord brought back into a state of peace so that you can start to experience real peace.